Welcome to the Sajcast. I'm Mark Austin. I'm Stacy Roberts. And we, we are, are the Sons, Sons of Joy. Joy. You're listening to Sajcast number 12. Our 12th ever Sajcast. An actual dozen. Today's Sajcast is sponsored by First Cars. Makers of I'm Free! Woohoo! Try it now! <laughs> and can you believe our parents got her that? And here's the thing. You've all had first cars. If you drive, you've had a first car. We were contemplating the spectrum of first cars because they run anywhere from uh, you know, <laughs> Uncle Louie's car that... <laughs> the he... stories we'll talk about later. Yes. I mean, you know, a car that you got from a friend of yours or somebody your parents knew or somebody, you know, they bought this car for a couple hundred bucks off of a lot somewhere, all the way up to the legends of our youth where... On your 16th birthday, you wake up, you come downstairs, and it's sitting in the driveway with a boat on it, and it's brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so these are not the things that were done to us, but these are the things that we've done for <laughs> others uh, now that we have children of our own. And so we have, in a sense, experienced the entire spectrum of cars. And pretty, so Pretty nearly. Yeah. Pretty nearly. So, like most of our sponsors, you'll find that we may refer back to this theme throughout this Sajcast, as we have done in previous Sajcasts, not to be mentioned. And so, a dozen Sajcasts later, and we noticed that we um, we got a lot of we got a lot of nice traffic on the site, but what, yes. what people don't do is leave anything behind. What we're looking for are comments, because right now, the comments that I'm getting are from my youngest daughter, Erin, who said, Dad, I can't even make it through the theme song. Which I found shocking because we 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 delight in a theme song. Yeah, we well, dance around the studio, right? Which is why there's no video feed in the studio <laughs> Z. But um, so that's Aaron's comment. And then last week, my girlfriend Laura, she said that we have really got our timing down on the part where we say we are the sons of joy. So twelve weeks, uh, high tech production, <laughs> and we've made the synchronization. We have made progress in synchronization. And here's what that means: no one is talking about. The, the arduous process that we go through to pick our sponsors. Yes. The, um, the time and effort we put into crafting current events and updates. Um, no one has talked about either Tales from Saj History or anything else that we've covered in these podcasts. And no one has mentioned anything about food. Well, I, I'd say a few people have mentioned food porn to me, but that's, that's about it. That's about it. What we would like to see is we'd like to see comments actually on the website. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Um, you know, weigh in on the synchronization and theme song issue. If you'd, if you'd like to hear my voice replaced with Pierce Brosnan's, you know, let us know. We can't do that, but we'd like to know. Well, I think it'd be better. I mean, I wouldn't tell people what we can and cannot do. I mean, let's let them believe that we have resources as yet unfathomable. So moving on to current events, among other things, we, we've been off for a while. We've been off the air. Off the air. Like a, a like a real production, like a TV show that's gone on hiatus. Yes, and so I've been here at Studio Z on the banks of the muddy Mississippi, or at least the muddy Ohio right. in this well, case. Well, but you were on the banks of someplace even nicer, I, if that's imaginable. Listeners, I was gallivanting around the world. I left the country. I had to use the passport given to me by Hillary Clinton to leave the country. And what's interesting about that is I used it before to go to Canada. And as I have seen from your passport, which is a well-traveled, dog-eared gallivanter's Bible, they put stamps in it when you go to other countries. They do indeed. Okay, well, I have one stamp in my passport, and it's from the United States. <laughs> Welcome home, sir. Yes. I. So, so even though I say that I am gallivanting, I really have to just show you pictures of me next to a Jamaican goat to prove that I was in Jamaica. Because my passport only says that I have been here. I don't know nothing about no Jamaican goat. Of course you don't. That looks like a Kentucky goat. But let me just say that I was indeed gallivanting, and this will come into further play further down in current events, and particularly in food porn, because I was on a cruise, which I think is where food porn is originally made. Indeed. On uh, on my list of current events, uh, were a couple of things to note. Uh, one of which was my mother visited. Well, and this um, was the this was the the funny thing because in recent Sajcasts, and I won't tell you which one. You'll very, have a very recent, a uh, very recent, almost you might say a precipitating Sajcast <laughs> in which we talk about the time that you had to flee your house in fear of your life because you had said the f word to your father on the phone, and your mother 
and I were working back-channel diplomatic relations, like we're trying to end a big war, which in a certain sense we were. A week later, your mother shows up to visit. Yeah, I mean, literally a few days later, I got the call, I'm I'm coming up to see you. And for the first time in 25 years, I remember what it was like to be in trouble with your mother, and I thought that perhaps, perhaps, I was in trouble. <laughs> After all this time and lo these many years that I was somehow back in it up to here with Helga. Well, I have to say, my mother does not live around here, so the the uh, the visit was historical. Yes, she's never she's been, never been to Kentucky in the, in the two times that I've lived here, um, so she's not made it up either of those times, and... I think when I spoke to her last, which was probably Father's Day or a couple months ago, we said, "Oh, you know, you should come up for the um, for the fall, fall. The see fall. the colors." Yeah. Oh, it was actually when I got back from Alaska because she had also come back from Alaska, and we were comparing Alaskan notes. Well, and comparing the, you know, apparently you had some sort of competition going on between Alaska and Maine about fall colors. Oh yes, and so apparently this is important to you people, and so she had to come up and see for herself. Yeah, so it was just an offhanded comment. You should come up and see the colors. And then it was, I'm coming up to see the colors. I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> She's very literal. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, she really just doesn't play around. We didn't have a lot of colors to show her. I mean, we had some. It wasn't, it wasn't a bust, but it wasn't, wasn't perfect. Well, and this is the thing that I remember about your mother from our, from our childhood was she was the kind of forthright person who just said, I'm going to go do this now and went and did it. It was one of the things that I found admirable. Yes. Growing up with my mother, who was relatively wishy-washy. Yes. So anyway, yeah, she came up for the weekend. Um, she got to meet Suzanne, which was another historical moment. Seemed to go off pretty smashingly. In fact, she she just called pre-production, and she uh, she said to say hello to Suzanne, which we think is a very good sign. <laughs> yes, your mother is not easy to win over. So yeah, that was. But uh, but was I mean, nice. I guess I have to say, that Suzanne would be capable of it. Oh yes, because she's delightful. Yeah, so uh, it went pretty well. We uh, The highlight of the weekend was we went and took the Pumpkin Express, I believe is what it's called. So this is a train that runs out of Mason? Lebanon. Or Lebanon. Well, it's the Lebanon-Mason Railroad, I guess. It's, oh, so both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it starts in Lebanon, though, that's true. And uh, we went up there over the weekend to go on the Pumpkin Express. And this is a train that really just runs this one track, but it doesn't do a whole lot anymore. And so they use it for different things during the year. Um, there's a murder mystery train cruise thing. and. Yeah. You know, there's a Civil War tour. And so anyway, this time of year, they take us to a little farm, and you get to wander around the farm for an hour and change. And they have, you know, goats, and they have an, a literal pumpkin patch. Not a bunch of pumpkins on the ground, but these are connected to vines with roots in the ground, like they're growing, which I, the first time I saw that, I was just delighted. I was this like, means that every look. Halloween Charlie Brown special has been wrong. <laughs> yeah, they're they're attached, and some of them are green, and they're not done growing yet. And, you know, you can go pick your own. So that was, was kind of neat. And there's farm animals, of course, in the hayride, although... As my mother pointed out, there wasn't any hay on the hayride, which is really just being pulled around by a tractor and a wooden tram. But that was uh, that was our, our day, and uh, as it turned out, I'd right to point out that it was Lebanon, because when we got off the train, well, this was Saturday afternoon, and if you follow the news at all, there was a famous person in Lebanon <laughs> Saturday afternoon. Well, if you follow the news at all, you may have discovered that Ohio is a battleground state in some sort of <laughs> political contest. That is playing its disgraceful way out uh, right now. Yes, in fact, it's such a battleground state that between now and the time the Saj cast ends, one of the presidential contenders will be back in this state. Yes. I'm sure of it. Yeah, so Mitt Romney's campaign was setting up there, um, and there was much you know, hoopla and to-do. And so it was interesting to see that. Um, we didn't stick around for it, but uh, it was interesting to see you know, the giant truck that carries it. It looks like, um, looks like an underwater the diving bell from Jules Verne's where they throw the bombs in when they find a bomb (laughs) (laughs) that it might explode safely and all that. So anyway, yeah, we got to, we got to visit farm animals and pick pumpkins and see the, uh, the mittens express there coming through town. So good. That was our, that was our fun for the weekend. The other thing I thought was interesting to note, and this happened uh, just before you left, I think after the last Saj cast was recorded, but before you took off from town, was uh, I got to have dinner with a famous cartoonist. Ah, yes. Which was pretty neat. Um, and I'll, I'll just make a brief mention of it here. But um, if any of you have ever gone to the store, and uh, a bookstore or an art store, and looked for the How to Draw a Cartoon book, you've almost certainly seen this man's work. So this is Chris Hart, who um, is really famous for his How to Draw books. But he's worked in the business for a long, long time. He actually worked on the Blondie comic at one point. Uh, along with other things. And so it was really delightful to uh, to be included in a meal with him. And the way that that happened was uh, Suzanne was was 
uh, what's the word? <laughs> she was careless enough to tell me that she was having dinner with Chris Hart uh, for work reasons because where she works is a uh, is kind of deal with him for some for some content. And I was like, wait, the Chris Hart? And so I said, you must you must find out if I can go because it's highly inappropriate to bring your boyfriend to a business dinner where Chris Hart is. But I'm a huge fan, so go and do that. And she was kind enough to do that. And it turned out they were happy to have me along because uh, it meant we wouldn't talk so much business, and that was actually their goal. This sounds like you mentioning offhandedly to your mother that, by the way, while we're at the train station, you might see Mitt Romney. And she said, the Mitt Romney? (laughs) Or, or, yeah, or her husband actually might have said that. So why do you, I mean, mentioning things like that in passing is probably not the way to go. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, she was able to get me uh, get me into dinner, and uh, we we uh, we had a delightful time. We exchanged all kinds of stories about you know what it's like to cartoon, and, and kind of there were some interesting topics around what what it means to be an artist in the modern world, in in the sense that with social media being the way it is, the artist is much more important than the artist used to be, and I mean that by now, uh, fanboys out there don't care that it's Spider Man. We know Spider Man, but who drew Spider Man? Right. And so that's, you know, that's what makes this an interesting world to live in is, is it's the interpretation of the song, right? It's not the song, it's the singer. And so we're getting a lot more of that. Right. Because in ages past, which weren't really so long ago, it was, you go and get the, the content from the talent. And then there is a machine that produces it, distributes it. And so Mm -hmm. you could go somewhere and buy a comic book or or a novel and say, well, I'm sure some guy wrote this, you know. And, and the assumption is, is that once a year, a, a very tall man in a dark cloak and a black hat goes to Stephen King's house yes. and takes the manuscript out of the box that it's been left in out front. And then it, it goes into the jaws of the machine and is produced and is on the shelves of bookstores everywhere. But with social media, there's no middleman anymore. There doesn't have to be. You can get directly to the talent if you want. Yeah, you can, you can tweet at Stephen King, and I don't know if Stephen King's on the Twitter, but if he were, there's a chance he can respond to you. And that's the beauty of, of Twitter, really, right, is that, is that, um, that democratization of contact. Right. That anybody on any given day could talk to anybody else. That's right. Uh, but anyway, the, the highlight of the evening, of course, was we got to talk Zombie Guy a little bit with Chris Hart, so that was fun, and, and a number of the gags made him laugh, and he actually had a couple of, of suggestions for future zombie guy panel so that was that was worth the price of admission which i have to say was nothing for me so even more than the price of admission so the first comment we're going to get is going to be from chris hart saying basically what you got from dinner with me was worth exactly what you paid for which was exactly (laughs) nothing thanks a lot and well i brought i brought a book for him to sign and uh he signed he signed a book he actually drew a sketch in it and everything so it was it was super awesome he was a super super nice guy um, and in fact, because we had just finished Sajcast number 11 uh, with the uh, the tales of the F word, um, I kind of related that story much to his horror. And so it was it was a funny back and forth. But yeah, we uh, we went all through Sajcast tales and zombie guy tales. And yeah, apparently so I spoke then, a lot more than I needed to. Well, I don't know if that's true. I, mean, I would just say that uh, if you were brought to this meeting to tone down the boring back and forth of business... Then you did what you were supposed to do. I did. And the good news is, for I our sang for my dinner. Oh, indeed. Or, or something. Or something, yes. And so, down the road, what you can do, listeners, is look for maybe some Chris Hart influences in Zombie Guy. Perhaps. We'll, we'll call them out should they ever appear. And so, my current events are simply that I went on a cruise, which was awesome. Uh, the highlights of the cruise, I mean, to most people, as I may have mentioned in previous Sajcasts, uh, the, the idea of the cruise was presented to me like this. Uh, you like food, huh? Cruises, <laughs> cruises are stuffed with food, top to bottom. It's it's 24 hours a day. You can wander down and just get some really good food. And if you can't decide what dessert to have, tell them to bring all of them, and you'll you'll pick the one you like. As Hemingway might have called it, a movable feast. This was a floating feast. A floating feast. And so. Um, uh, my children were the only naysayers in this whole thing. They said, well, Dad, you know, you get motion sick like a small child, and so you got to worry about that. And it seems like some of the things you might do when you get off the boat could be dangerous. Uh, and so just avoid that. 
So I went to my doctor, who's a very tall man, Dr. Longshanks, and uh, he gave me a patch to prevent the motion sickness and a bottle of pills to prevent motion sickness and a bunch of nausea medication and a little yellow sundress for me to wear because <laughs> I'm such a delicate flower. So I didn't get seasick on the cruise really at all. I got I got more motion sick on the drive to the port <laughs> than, I, than I did on the boat. So well done, Longshanks. He's not accepting patients, but if he was, I would recommend him to all the listeners. Here's the dangerous part. And and the food, of course, you know, the experience of being on a cruise ship is is really good. Um, it, it is an environment in which your every need is is available to be entertained. If you want to go gambling at three in the morning, if yep. you want to get in a hot tub at two a.m., <laughs> if you want Starbucks any time of the day, it's all available. It's like it's like a little floating New York City, you know, the the ship that never sleeps. Um, and and uh, every morning the captain would get on the intercom and essentially tell us the weather, which I don't know what, you know, when you think of a ship captain, you're thinking of a big, scary Ahab kind of man. <laughs> this guy always just, he woke us up every morning to tell us what direction the wind was coming from. And he was so full of detail about the speed and direction and the wind and, and all this stuff. I wasn't sure if perhaps there was going to be some sort of test or if I would have to turn the boat left at some point. Uh, so uh, that's a lot of knots. Is that is that a good number of knots? Is that a safe number? <laughs> yes, it's like, uh, and I, and I think maybe you know at some point we were supposed to give him a little feedback, like we've asked for from our listeners, and just say, you know what, Captain, good job on that. Uh, you know, it's nice to know we were going twenty five knots, and that we briefly dropped down to twenty three because the wind was coming from the north northwest at thirty eight knots. <laughs> well done. We're still alive and floating on top of the water. Well, good job. And the pina coladas are still flowing. Even better. Even better. <laughs> So, you know, I imagine that when I got back, um, my youngest daughter rented Titanic and put it in. And I was like, well, I'm glad you <laughs> waited until I got back for that. So when I'm talking about the dangers on the cruise, I'm completely ignoring the fact that our ship could have hit an iceberg and sank. But we were in the Caribbean, so probably not. Or a reef off of Greece, for that matter. <laughs> for that matter. <laughs> but the dangerous parts occurred in Jamaica, where we went tubing down a river. And all the rivers in Jamaica flow very shortly into the ocean because yes. it's an island. And um, our guides, I mean, everybody we met in Jamaica was so laid back. They were like, well, man, where the river empties into the ocean is where the sharks come to feed. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll pull you out before that. Like, okay, great. Um, but the next thing that happened in Jamaica is that we went to climb a waterfall up. Now, on the surface, you know what I would say. Well, surely there are staircases and railing and, you know, some sort of elevator for the handicapped. For the cowards! <laughs> That's how you get down. You have to get oh, down right. from the top of the falls. You have to go down these stairs and escalators and all these manner of assisted ways down to get to the bottom, which is the beach, where, again, the falls empty right into the sea. And then you have to climb up these rocks to the top of the falls. And so um, the people that I went on the cruise with described in lush detail how I could order six desserts at once and said only as a footnote, oh yeah, and on Wednesday we're going to climb the falls in Jamaica. Like I wouldn't notice. <laughs> and so, um, you know, what they do is they get 20 people in this excursion and you have to link hands. Your 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 front hand goes to the person in front of you, your, your back hand goes to the person behind you, and this is how you climb the falls. And to me, that just seems like a way for 20 people to fall down and die all at once. Yeah, especially since you can't use your hands to help you in any way. <laughs> You're just going to pull your neighbor down with right. you. Right. And and what I didn't like about it was, well, any number of things. But if you've, if you've read my blog or listened to the Sajcast, you know that the only thing that kills people in my family is stupid accidents. So if... If my uh, eulogy was, well, he was climbing a fall, a waterfall in Jamaica, up instead of you know, down, and he fell to his death, people would go, oh, I can see that. So it's not a... But at least you would have taken a lot of people with you. No, there was only one person behind me. Oh. Yeah, so it wouldn't even have been a slaughter. Um, <laughs> so we basically get up there. And, and the thing about it also is that I didn't like was that I had to be helped by other people. And so part of my commentary as I'm going up the falls the wrong way, hoping that I don't slip on anything, is I'm glad I came on this romantic cruise to hold the hand of a sweaty man because that's who I was linked with on the way up. But but that was my opener, you know, because being a um, an irreverent comedic soul, that's what I start with when my feet are flat on the ground in the sands of the Jamaican beach. When I'm 400 feet up on a precarious rock that is, by the way, running with, with water... 
from the waterfall. I love this guy. <laughs> it's not funny anymore. I need him to pull me up to the next level so that I don't die. And um, so that was not my favorite excursion. And and about three quarters of the way up, it gets really steep. Yeah. And that's where they have these stairs where you can get out. Ah, the escape stairs. The escape stairs. And so I said, um, uh, fellow travelers, on this death-defying climb, I have reached my no effing way moment. <laughs> and I'm getting off this crazy ride because I think I've pushed my luck about as far as anyone might stand. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that my dignity might have gotten away and I think it went down those, over those stairs. I'm going to chase it. Yes. But I, I gotta say that in the middle of it, because every now and then you'd reach a, a, a level, a, a plateau where there'd be a pool and you could wade in there and the waterfall would run over you and you weren't in danger of falling anywhere. And it was really quite, you know, I could, I could stay here. The rest of you go on, but the guides wouldn't let you do that. They had to drag everybody up the falls. Um, so, you know, uh, risking death in Jamaica. Um, was the the dangerous part of the trip? Jamaican Death Falls will be what it says on the page on the page. Jamaican Death Falls because we'll have a link. Because the rest of you who are not cursed by some sort of clumsiness uh, could go and maybe enjoy this. Uh, we don't really know. Um, don't worry, man. We'll pull you out before you get to the sharks, assuming you tip well. <laughs> yes, that's comforting in Jamaica. You um, did bring your wallet, now, Yeah, didn't you? And so the the, uh, the other thing that happened is on this cruise ship, they had automated uh, hand sanitizer dispensing stations. And uh, there were 4,800 people on this cruise ship. 1,400 of them were staff. And you never really saw them except when it was time to eat. Or if you were out wandering the boat at 2 in the morning, then you'd see them. But they were always standing next to these hand sanitizing stations saying... Please sanitize your hands. And so I did that. I was I was sanitizing my hands six or eight times a day. And I think that what happened is my immune system was compromised. I was like the boy in the bubble. So as soon as I got back here, I came down with some sort of creeping death that just knocked me totally out. And and these six people who read my blog on a regular basis will notice I haven't posted anything in a while. And uh, part of that was, well, creeping, well, yeah, in fact, death recovery. Sajcast number 12 was delayed by about a week. That's right. And <laughs> for so, that very reason. For that very reason. And so we are past the creeping death, and Mark's mother has safely made it back to Florida. Uh, Mitt Romney is wherever he is. And so now we are free to broadcast. <laughs> and Chris Hart has made it home, and everything is well. Everything is well. And so here we are broadcasting yet again. So with all that behind us, it's time for Tales from Saj History, or something. We yes. need a, we need a better, snappier something right there. We'll, well work on that. If only people would put comments on the website, we might be inspired. Someone might give us an idea. Tales from Saj History, 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 History. I think that's what I did the first time. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not going back and listening. There ought to be a machine that can do that. I'm the sound engineer. I'm not going back and listening to anything. No, no. We <laughs> must let people believe that we got a whole crew of people in a booth. Watching us do this, shaking their heads and sucking their teeth like, ooh, don't say anything about Mitt Romney. There are people watching us. We have curtains for that. Yes. <laughs> so, Tales from Saj History, which, and this will come entirely out of left field, is going to be a story about first cars. No. Yes. Impossible. But yet it will happen. Um, and so, by first cars, you mean our first cars. Our first cars, yes. And not that we shared a first car, but we each have a first car story, mm -hmm. which we will share with you now. Now, um, since you are a gallivanter, well, that's got nothing to do with it. You're no, <laughs> well, perhaps. Perhaps. I'm just bitter about it, even though I do my own gallivanting. The problem is I come back, having nearly died on a waterfall and eaten by sharks, um, with no way to prove that I've even left the country. So, I'm still bitter <laughs> about your gallivanting, but... Uh, I digress. Um, I was not an only child. Uh, that's fact number one. And in my house, I was not the favorite child either. You were the youngest of two. I was the youngest of two, and my mother seemed to run on Old Testament rules in which the firstborn gets all the really good goats and land and his pick of, you know, he can choose seven of 14 women, and the, the youngest son gets whatever's left over. So we lived in Florida where you got your learner's permit at 15, where you could drive with a with an adult, yeah, for a year, I think. And then when you were 16, you were free and clear to go and wreak havoc throughout the land in your car. My brother... Those were the days. <laughs> those were indeed the days. Uh, my brother, Lane the Favorite, uh, which is just a name I picked out of nowhere, 
The day he turned 15, there was a car for him in the driveway. And it wasn't, uh, you know, it was not a brand new car that had been bought at a dealership. I mean, it was a used car. It was a Dodge Dart, I believe. Really? And so there was the car. And, you know, I didn't really notice at the time because I was four, I was 13 and I didn't really care about driving. It was just how I got places. But before he even turned 16, he had another one because he smashed up the Dodge Dart somewhere. And then he got another kind of station wagon and he dropped the transmission out of it into the road and so got a third car. So by the time he turned 16 and could even drive by himself, he'd already had, he was on his third car. Um, which I found incomprehensible. But uh, in fact, I can tell you that to this day, he has owned more vehicles before the age of 18 than I have yet to own in my life. And I'm an age I will not reveal, but you know, I'm not 18. So I observed this as the time for me to drive got closer, and I said, well, cars seem to be pretty easy to come by in this house. <laughs> yes, they're, they're free-flowing. They just seem to keep showing up, and if one disappears, another one takes its place. It's like magic, and so when I turned 15, I am relatively assured of having a car. Well, that didn't happen, and the excuse was, what do you need a car for? Your brother can drive you around. Oh, <laughs> I see now. The sound you hear is the trap snapping shut. And so... um so his stated purpose in having all of these cars was he was supposed to drive me to and from school. Shortly after he turned 16, and you may reference the, the sponsorship section of the Sajcast, the I'm free part? Free! He felt he was free, free enough to drop out of school. And so at that point, he had to wake up early to take me somewhere he wasn't going anyway. And that did not last. And that, I think, was the impetus to where my, my parents, uh, my mother and my stepfather, Ted the drug dealer, Decided that I should have a car, and they took six hundred dollars and they bought a nineteen seventy eight Volare. Volare. We'll have pictures on the website. Yes, it came with its own theme song. And for future Sajcasts and tales from Saj history, it was sort of a taupe color, wasn't it? I thought it was two tone. Well, it was two tone, yeah, yeah, but it was a, a taupe and a brown or something. Yeah. Like see, that. the thing about the thing about my cars and and um, and your experience with them is that. All I ever knew was I would get in the thing and turn the key, and if it worked, I would go on about my day, and if it didn't work, I would call you up and say, something's wrong with the car, and I would get it to your house, and you and your dad would look at it, and, you know, that's how that works. So you know way more about the car than I do. I got the theme song, <laughs> and I know where the key goes, I knew how to work the radio, and that was the extent of it. Um, but this is the car that in future Sajcasts, I will tell you about the time that it died forever at Turkey Lake. In Florida. Well, and in previous Sajcasts, this car's already made an appearance. It has indeed. Because it's it's the one that whisked us away from my house after I said oh, an unspeakable right. word <laughs> to my father on the phone. So this Valore, my first car, was the getaway car. The getaway car. Referenced in our previous Sajcast. And it, like, you know, most cars, it just showed up in the driveway one day. And I went in the house and I said, who's here? And they said, no, that's your car. And that was it. Transaction completed. So that's a good segue into my story, which is entirely different, but has a first car in it. So I'm an only child, so I didn't I didn't have any expectations of of getting cars or not getting cars. I kind of figured I wouldn't. I knew that I had to you know save up money, scrimp and save for my own car, as as many kids do, I guess. Yes. And what I uh, I did have though, I guess, as a function of the learner's permit, was that. You could drive a car with an adult, but you could drive a moped by yourself. And so I was I was empowered with a moped, or several over the years, uh, that I would use to get to and fro. And the very first one was actually basically something uh, you know out of, you might have seen in Italy at the turn of the century. It was a bicycle that had a motor on a handle that you would drop on the front wheel. And it would engage the motor. The motor would kick on. And then it was basically a self-propelled bicycle. <laughs> um, but I went and through so a, for all, for all um, the people yeah. who say it's just like riding a bike, this was nothing like riding yeah, a nothing bike. Nothing like riding a bike. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a couple of, of different mopeds over the, the next few years. Um, and largely to get me to and from work. And work in this case was I worked at the Diplomat Hotel, which is famous for having hosted a number of crooners over the years. This is in Miami Beach. Um, or in Hallandale, but very nearly Miami North Beach. Miami. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm sure they sang Volari there more than once. Aha. Uh -huh. 
And so I was a busboy, you know, and I would I would drive my little scooter down there and at the in the wee small hours before the sun would come up and I would bus people's tables at the brasserie for for breakfast and occasionally even for lunch and it was a nice nice Jewish crowd. There would be lots of matzo ball soup and things like that on the menu. So I'm always in the leftovers. Leftovers. Leftovers, yeah. I can't bring them home on the scooter, right? There's a giant vat of pickles and the uh, the woman that used to grab all the pickles, her arm turned green. From grabbing all the pickles. So I know they weren't real pickles, because real pickles don't do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> or they shouldn't. Good but I digress. Yes. Um, yeah, so I had I had been squirreling away my money all summer, and I had, uh, I want to say about 800 bucks that I had put aside. And I had it, you know, and of course I had a number of cars that I wanted. I was in the way of 16 or 17-year-old boys. I had my realistic expectations of getting a dune buggy, you know, and other, you know, very useful and uh, practical vehicles. <laughs> Future Sidecast will be sponsored by the cards we have now, and that will be an eye-opener for everyone. Uh, yeah, no dune buggy. But uh, anyway, I I cruised home one morning, or, or midday, on my scooter, and uh, I couldn't get into the parking lot because there was a car in the way. And it looked to me like a friend of the family's. It was, it was you know, a the sedan. Same, the same thing. Who's here? Yeah, is this Coralie here? Because it looked like Coralie's car. And they go, no, that's your car. And I said... Uh, you bought me a car? Like, we took your money, we went to a police auction, and we bought you that car. Uh, so you have to rewind the tape. So you took my money, <laughs> you went to a police auction, and you just bought that, whatever that is out there, which turned out to be a 78 Monte Carlo. To keep the, the, the singing up, there's a lot of singing in Monte Carlo. Presumably they sing Valari there as well. It all ties together. With one important difference. My mother went out and bought me the car with her money, and I was happy to get whatever <laughs> came down. Your parents decided that 800 bucks was enough, and they were going to just roll the dice and see what happens. Let's see what happens at the police auction. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know what the, what the, uh, I don't know what the provenance of the car was. <laughs> it may have been a drug dealer's car, or who knows what. I mean, it was just, it was, it was confiscated a, by the police. We know that. <clears throat> it was a very, uh, bland, you know, well, you can see the pictures on the website, but it was a very bland white car. And so one of the things that we, uh, we ended up doing is painting this car a number of times over the years. And so it went from having flames on it at one point, which were hand painted by me to being a bright orange car and a couple of other things. But, uh, right off the bat, within the first day of driving it, the brakes didn't work. And so my parents, I said, this is on you. Like this, how is this my problem? You bought me this piece of crap that doesn't have brakes. You gotta at least make it roadworthy for me, so. Well, but here's the thing is that you're asking, I mean, just the lead into that question answers the question. Dear people who took my money and went and bought whatever they thought yeah, looked good. Stole my piggy bank and gave me. A right. Car. It, now this car is your responsibility. That was never their intention. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this is all on you from the point of we, they had to reach into your wallet to take your money to go get it. They are hands off. Yes. So anyway, yeah, that that ends up being my first car, and it it also died on the road to Tallahassee at a yes. different at a different stop, Fort Pierce, for well, another and, and day. I gotta say, and and I don't know if this is a cautionary tale. I don't know if we can look at a chain of causality, as it were. But the last time we talked Sach history, your mother came to visit, and so is she coming back next <laughs> week? Because we we are talking about the purchase of the first car. I don't know. The colors will be nicer. Well, do we want this sort of Democles hanging <laughs> over the Sajcast that if we start talking about things that happened in your childhood, sooner or later your mother will come to visit? I'll get the ladder. We'll climb up there. We'll cut that sword right down. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. Yeah, so I guess the point was that we both ended up, I mean, uh, it's fair to say that these cars were, at this point, about 10 years old, Yeah, give or take. Um, so Yeah, because they were both about the same age. Put that in perspective. So they weren't ancient, ancient cars at the time, although they seem so now. But they were, you know, they were reasonably old cars. I don't remember what the mileage were. Well, and this wasn't the age in which cars could last you 200, 300,000 oh, miles. Oh, Lord, no. This was not the age of reliable cars at all. That's right. In a sense, they were old when we got them. And I guess in, in retrospect, we have to say that, you know, you never talk about all the times you got in your car, it started up, and you drove it to where you wanted to go and got out of it. Uh, and it worked. And, yeah, that's and true. there was a lot of that going on. I mean, it did, it did work for, as transportation for us for a couple of years. It was only when we overtaxed it by driving it five, mm -hmm. five or six hundred miles in one direction that it finally they finally gave up the ghost. And like everything else, it'd, it'd be the same thing as me falling to my death from a waterfall in Jamaica. You say, well, your 10-year-old car that you were putting 600 miles on, you know, every quarter driving to school finally died. Yeah, 
We saw that coming. Yeah. But get on the website. Tell us your first car stories. Yes, we'd like to hear those. Yes. Okay, so that theme means it's time for reviews. Reviews. And we're reviewing the books of authors that we have met on the Twitter, as we may have mentioned. And we realize, well, more than once, but we realize especially today that when you meet people on Twitter and your only interaction with them is with the typed word, you may be in a position to review their books and not know how to pronounce their last name. <laughs> it could it could happen. It could happen. And so we're gonna we're gonna take a shot at this. And if we're wrong, there will be a correction in future Sodgecasts. And I will tell you that this particular author, whose name is nigh unpronounceable, is so good that we're gonna review her her first book that we've read today, and we are going to attempt to master the technology to do an actual interview with her in a future Sodgecast. And I think that we will probably go back to some of our earlier people that we've reviewed and try and get them interviewed as well um, once we figure out the technology. Yes, assuming they're all game. Well, why wouldn't they be? <laughs> if, we can, if we can meet here every week to do this, is it too much to ask somebody who lives in a far-flung region of the country <laughs> to be available in the dead of night to take a phone call from us and talk about food porn? <laughs> or, or, or whatever. Or whatever. So, so we're talking about love. In the time of dinosaurs. In the time of dinosaurs. And the author is uh, Alexandria Constantinova Zeman. It is spelled S-Z-E-M-A-N. and um, It's Alexandria underscore S-Z or S-Z. Yes, at Alexandria underscore S-Z on Twitter. She is, as far as I can tell, a poet. She is, She's won awards for poetry. She's won awards for story writing. And But I can tell that she's a poet by reading her language. Everything that she writes flows beautifully. Her language is just so admirable that as a writer, you read it and you go, Oh, I wish I'd written that. Yes. Because it is so good and it is so poetic. And, it, and, and the, this book of short stories, which is called Love in the Time of Dinosaurs, is what you would get, is what you get when poets write prose. And it's a it's a beautiful thing. It's it's luxurious. I I luxuriated in the book. It's like spending a week on a cruise ship <laughs> without the attendant dangers. And and so this is a book of short stories. And I noticed that at the end of each story, the the wrap up, the the last line. You know, when writers always talk about the first line, the first line has to be the hook. Um, but in her case, at her last couple of lines, uh, paragraphs are just excellent. You read them and you go. Oh, is the story over now? That was so good. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and interspersed with the stories in this book are poems. And the first, uh, on the first page, pages, is Cain's Lament. And we're talking about Cain from the Old Testament. Cain and Abel. That's right. The, the thing I like, uh, one of the many things I like about, about this author is she has clearly read her Old Testament. She's well read. She is well read. And in this book, I'm seeing a lot of Mythology. Yes. Um, I'm seeing a lot of, of classic literature like yes. Melville. Yes. Um, but the thing that keeps coming back to me is all the Old Testament stuff because the Old Testament, um, is the Bible of my people. But that's not why I'm a fan because I was forced to read this thing as a child. <laughs> so I should not have any kind of warm, fuzzy feelings for it. But the Old Testament was a time of desert dwelling goat herders, a time when when men spoke directly to God, and they weren't nice about it. And the lament of Cain, understandably, is Cain saying, okay, I'm the first convicted murderer in human history, but can you give a kid a break? The, the essence of Cain's lament is this line, where he says, it's been a long, hard time, this waiting for rain in a land that drinks sweat. That line, short, to the point, but it gets at how much it sucks. Oh, yeah. To be Cain in the desert. And the rest of the lament of Cain is how it sucks to be Cain pretty much everywhere. Where he is ashamed of what he's done, and after, uh, and the perspective to me seems to be after a long lifespan, he's saying, I'm a man who forgives people who trespass me, and so, God, you can't forgive me. And, and the thing about the lament of Cain, if you've read your Old Testament, you know there's no answer. God doesn't talk to Cain. God talks to other people in the Old Testament, you know, conversationally, uh, unlike the New Testament, in which God is 
more fond of pronouncements. But in the Old Testament, God would sidle up next to you in proximity to a burning bush and say, um, yeah, you're not going to do that. So uh, the lament of Cain, Cain's lament is good uh, as an opener. And it, it's a taste of, here's how good the writing is in this book. When confronted with beautiful language and Old Testament references, and, you know, the the stuff that you got to dig deep to go get, like Lot's wife and, and mm. Cain and Abel, um, uh, what you're unprepared for, which is a welcome surprise, is that there can be a gritty, well-told short story, like Eddie Madison and the Theory of Ev- Evolution. Uh, Eddie Madison, by the way, uh, he shows up a couple times in this book, and it's always fun when he does, because on the surface... You think that this is just a guy who who lives in a time, um, say, when Eisenhower was president, where the man was king of his castle, and he kept his Bible in his hand, and his wife, his children, did what he said. And and here's, here's a, a sample. It says, what Eddie Madison's upset about is this unnatural origin of species thing, because Eddie Madison does not believe in the, in the theory of evolution. Uh, he's upset about this unnatural origin of species thing, this ape into man theory that's got his docile, sweet-tempered wife staying out Tuesday and Thursday nights after class and throwing still full casserole dishes at him. Not that an empty dish would have been any better, mind you, but it would have been somehow less offensive, less emasculating. And so Eddie's problem is his wife's taking night classes and coming home burdened with information that he doesn't agree with. And so right away you're thinking, oh, this guy's a jerk, right? He's a... He's a mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging jerk. Um, And at the end of this story, by the way, Eddie's sitting in his kitchen with a gun, uh, waiting to have a talk with his wife. Um, But when Eddie appears later in in the story that is actually called Love in the Time of Dinosaurs, he presents a little differently. He presents as a a father whose whose, uh, the thought of losing his daughters uh, would break his heart. And as fathers, that's a story that really resonated and so, if you're set up to think that Eddie Madison is just some sort of pig, as he is further exposed in the course of the book, you're almost on his side. Yeah, there's, that's, there's nobody one-dimensional here. There's nobody one-dimensional here, and, and that is the way life works. Nobody mm-hmm. is just one thing. And the ability to, to draw that picture without beating it over your head is, is real talent. I mean, it's, it's real talent... And when you add in the the language and the style and the references to literature, poetry, mythology, um, it's just good. Yeah, I'd comment a little bit about that. So this is, I think we talked about this in pre-production, but this is definitely writing that English majors can enjoy. Um, and in saying that, because we're all English majors here, I, I, I'm speaking for a part of the world that I, I can't really say that I'm sure about, but I don't see... Any reason why everybody wouldn't enjoy these stories? I mean, you may not be getting quite all the literary references that someone who's really into books might get, but it's still just good reading. I mean, just enjoyable through and well, through. And these are and these are things these are things that you've heard of, much like Captain America in the Avengers movie when he was all happy. He said, "I got that reference. <laughs> I got that reference." Um, if if you've read good and classic literature and you you've you've had at least some exposure to mythology, as you read through this book, you go, "Oh, I got that." And you're pretty proud of yourself uh, for for your ability to keep up. Yeah, so another thing I noticed, um, a couple things. Well, one, as you said, uh, this is a collection of short stories which all essentially stand alone perfectly fine, but in a number of them there are characters that are connected and, and the stories are connected, um, so it's, it's kind of episodic in some way. Um, yes. It's not like a larger novel necessarily here, but... Uh, certainly the, the characters are, you're happy to see them again. Like, well, oh, there's Eddie again. And I gotta say that, that as a, the craft of writing, that is a very interesting thing that I have not seen before. Where, you know, the second story in the book is about Eddie Madison. And at the end of that story, you're like, oh, well, he's sitting in the kitchen with a gun. He's gonna shoot his wife. I know how this goes. Right. And then three stories later, he's back. Mm-hmm. And you are happy to see him again. And at that point, if you weren't committed to this book, now you're committed. Because there is a chance that this character, that whether you liked him or didn't like him, the author is so good that you at least got to know him. And by the time you see him again, he's like an old friend. And you're yes. like, oh, hey, hey, uh, Eddie, you crazy bastard. You're <laughs> back. Uh, nice to see you. Where's your gun? Yeah, him and his buddy Augie Vernon, who apparently got struck by lightning. 
in the story called Augie Vernon gets struck by lightning. <laughs> yeah. The other thing when, I, when I, we, I would when mention. When we interview Alexandria, we were going to ask her where she gets her titles. <laughs> well, the other thing that I, I noticed, because when I first read this, I did it on an old Kindle. And some of this I found somewhat distracting. So um, Alexandria uses line breaks um, very purposefully, right? Uh, they, they seem to be reflecting a cadence and a meter that she has in mind. Uh, but on my Kindle, they were breaking really crazy because this is a really old Kindle. But when I looked at it on a, on a full screen, I was like, oh, I got it now. Okay, it makes perfect sense. Uh, just looking at Augie Vernon get struck by lightning, here, here's how it how it opens. He wasn't out on a golf course during a freak thunderstorm. He wasn't under the tallest tree in the woods. He wasn't on the roof fiddling with a TV antenna. As a matter of fact, when Augie Vernon got struck with lightning, he was sitting in his very own herringbone tweed barca lounger with an open Bible laying on his lap and a can of beer in his left hand. So you've learned an awful lot there, right? In an opening sentence, we know that. Well, you've you've learned an awful lot by the title. Oh yeah. And then the opening sentence, because oh, yeah. you, you, I mean, when you read a title that says Augie Vernon gets struck by lightning, you kind of get a sense that that may not be a metaphor. And then when the first paragraph talks about where he wasn't when he got hit by lightning, you're in. I mean, oh, yeah. you're, you're reading this story. There's no backing out after that. I, I'm, I've got a Barker Lounger. What, what if I get hit by lightning? I've had a beer. On my Barker Lounger, even. Uh, a couple other things that I thought uh, was interesting. Um, we uh, we know that Alexandria is from around here, or at least has spent some time near about Studio Z, because she went to the University of Cincinnati, right? Yes. One of the things that caught my attention when I first opened the book was the um, the second story in there is called A Field Trip to the Serpent Mount. And the Serpent Mound is just down the road from us. And I thought, what are the odds of that? And then, and then I had to look up and say, oh, well, she's from the University of Cincinnati. So yes, it's we, not we a went. different Serpent Mound somewhere else in the world. It was actually that one. It is that one. So I was very excited. Well, and the thing is, is that with all the vast reach of Twitter, we have met someone who is from here and went to my alma mater where I got my heretofore useless history degree. Yeah. But anyway, the, uh, I think the first story that I, that I kind of opened to or, or saw when I, uh, just pulled up the table of contents and looked at it was a story which was near and dear to my heart called Ahab's Wife. And so I always enjoy stories that are about famous things, and there's a couple of them in here, from a perspective that we don't normally get. You know, because we all know the story of Ahab, or at least many of us do, and, you know, how he got his leg and his pursuit of the white whale and all that. But, you know, what's happening back home? You know, and what happens when he comes home between trips? And so that's this story delves into, you know, his wife's perspective um, and again, just these are, I should say, very, very short stories. I mean, these are probably in the short, short story contest length, right? I mean, they're 1500 words. Yeah, they're real brief, um, but, but epically powerful. So, uh, this was just a line, uh, about the wife watching Ahab when he was back from, was it shore leave? <laughs> probably not what they called it back then, but yeah, between his, between his jaunts out. And it reads, she discovers him in the child's room over the cradle. Behind him, the wind rattles the windows. The moonlight halos his gray hair, glows on the child's face, glares on the new leg. She calls to him, but he stays still. And right there, you've got a lot about, I mean, just a whole bunch about their relationship. You've got the new leg, you've got, you know, this child, you know, the distance that's between them. It's amazing how much mileage you can get out of the words that, that are chosen here. And that's... Again, that's that's a, a an expression of talent. Um, and, and further on that, one of the notes that I made that was similar to what you were saying is that there are a lot of stories in this book that are about wives. Yes. Um, Ulysses' wife, mm -hmm. uh, Ulysses of the Trojan War, Ahab's wife. And there are stories that deal with women who are clearly either some man's first wife, second wife, or third wife. And so a thread running through the book is people's wives are in here. <laughs> and and um, from the old school, even Eddie Madison's wife, um, I think a lot of times what goes on in wives' heads is a mystery, and it's fun to see what's going on in there. What does a second wife think about the first wife? <laughs> because, you know, that's not something you, you would consider, but it has to happen, right? The second wife thinks about the first wife. The first wife thinks about the second wife. But maybe only in their heads. And that's where these stories take place, and that's why they're fun to read. And when you piece them together, you go, oh, 
Here's something that I know intellectually has to be going on, but I've never witnessed it. And it's good to kind of peek behind the curtain and say, oh, the second wife doesn't like the first wife, and vice versa. I should have known that. But here it is on the page, and that's why it's good to read. Yep. And so that's uh, our, our recommendation for Love in the Time of Dinosaurs, one of a number of titles available from Alexandria Konstantinova Zeman, or at least we hope. <laughs> we hope we've pronounced it right. If we haven't, we are deeply sorry, and we will post a correction as soon as we get new information. And we'll also post links to uh, both her Twitter, um, her her web presence, and many, many, many of her books online. Yes. So we encourage you to go out there and grab them and uh, luxuriate in some literature. Okay, so that means it's time for food porn. At last, we have come to the food porn section. And not to reference back to our earlier review, but much like Old Testament folk, you've been dwelling in the wilderness with us in food porn while we have been off the carbohydrates. And uh, much like your Alaska trip, my cruise was an occasion for me to come back in from the wilderness <laughs> in a big way. And taste the mana. And taste the mana, yes. <laughs> which fell from the heavens. Because when you're on a cruise ship, food is everywhere. Um, our cabin, stateroom, I don't know what it was called, but there was a guy whose entire job it was to make sure that our stateroom was well appointed. In fact, every night that we came back to the room, they had folded our hand towels into animal shapes. <laughs> and I'm going to have pictures of those. And, and so they would do creative things with them. Like, uh, one day it was a monkey, and they took the monkey and hung his arms on a hanger and hung the hanger <laughs> from the air conditioning unit. So when you come home, where's my damn hanger? Oh, it's a monkey! <laughs> it's a monkey! Good lord! And so, um, the, the towel animals were just the highlight of coming back to the room. And, uh, the good news was, is that we would take pictures of these and send them to the children. <laughs> And you know, like everything else on a cruise ship, a cruise ship is a lot like Disney World, uh, in which everything is orchestrated, but appears to not be. Yes. So, I'm sorry, but that means that down somewhere in the belly of this ship, they are teaching stateroom attendants how to make these little animals out of towels. And the way that we knew is that the last day on the ship, they had classes on wow. the promenade, right? Where you could learn how to make these things. Nice. And so, you know, you come, you come back to the room and I'll put the pictures up there, but there's an elephant wearing my sunglasses. Or, um, there's a penguin sitting on the bed with a remote control and one of his flippers. And it was just one of those little things that took a lot of effort. Whimsical. Whimsical. But it was, it was fun to do. Um, but I digress because this is not hand towel porn. This is food porn. <laughs> Which is a whole, yeah, whole section that we don't get into. Yes. Uh, to describe the food. Now, on a cruise ship. Well, I, I had some questions. So I, okay. I've never, I've been on a bunch of cruise ships in Florida, uh, that went to the Bahamas and back. But in Florida, that's not a trip of any consequence. That's, uh, right. two or three hours. It's not a big deal. Yes. And so these are, these are very different ships. And so how, how, tell me how food worked, first of all. Okay. Because is there a buffet or, well, this there, is, this is there is a the... Mexican restaurant on the ship? Like, how does it work? Well, here's, here's something to consider. This boat that we were on, which is called Freedom of the Seas, it's a Royal Caribbean ship, at one time was the largest ship in the world, hmm. which I think is why Aaron went and rented Titanic, just to <laughs> get some frame of reference. It has 14 decks. It stands, it, when it when it comes into port, it looks like a building. Yeah, it's a skyscraper. It's a skyscraper in yeah. <clears throat> or, or Jamaica, wherever you are. So, uh, starting from the top down, on the top was a Johnny Rockets. Like a branded. A branded Johnny Rockets. Okay. It was it was an actual Johnny Rockets franchise. Um, and, of course, cruises make their money on upcharges. So all your food at the buffet was included. But if you went to Johnny Rockets, you had to pay an extra five bucks a head. But you could eat all you wanted oh, okay. of Johnny Rockets. <clears throat> Not too bad. Right. And so then um, um, on deck five, there was what they called the Windjammer Cafe, which was buffet style. And it was open probably ten hours a day. And it was just... You know, all kinds of food. And they had they had Indian food one night. They had Asian food one night. And it was all really good. And this surprised me. Um, and they also have uh, a couple of dining rooms. There, there, There's a steak restaurant and there's an Italian restaurant on the ship. And then there's the normal dining room, which is three decks in one big glorious thing. Like, I got to say, I saw in the Titanic movie. <laughs> 
So, and that's where it's actually staffed by waiters, and it's a full sit-down restaurant. And is that, get, the, <clears throat> is that the one where you get to sit with the captain if he? Well, they had eating? they announced a, a captain's meet and greet, but we didn't go to that because we we only wore flip flops. We avoided any occasion where you had to dress for dinner. Because we just weren't going to do that. And you're on vacation, for God's sake. Well, right. And and so, but what we did was we scheduled, um, instead of just showing up and eating at the buffet, we scheduled actual reservations in the dining room, which didn't cost any extra. But the cool thing, much like I, I, I made in my Disneyland reference, is that you ended up with the same team of waiters every time. Oh. They put you at the same table, so you got the same people who got to know your name. I mean, it was all very well done. And they knew that we liked iced tea instead of Diet Coke. I mean, it was just like that. Um, and the food in the in, in the dining room was good. And it changed every day. So you could go eat dinner there three days in a row and have different choices to make. Um, but we also made reservations for the Italian restaurant and the steak restaurant, which you had to pay extra for. But that was, it was kind of a different dining experience. Right. The best food on the ship was in the steak restaurant. Uh, it's called Chops Grill. Um, the food was excellent. It was, it was top quality restaurant. It was, it was almost Morton Steakhouse level quality. Right. Yep. Um, and we also, but the best thing I had on the cruise was a dessert that I had in the Italian restaurant. And the Italian restaurant was a bit underwhelming because the choices weren't so good. The food was good, but I, there wasn't something on there that I was in the mood for that particular day. And I think that was maybe Jamaica Falls Day. <laughs> and so I'm not sure what I would have been in the mood for on that day. But um, our waiter, uh, the other good thing about cruise ships is uh, there were people from 52 countries on this boat, uh, passengers and staff. And our waiter that night was from Macedonia. And <laughs> um, given my study of antiquities, I was like, Macedonia? That's where Alexander the Great is from. Tell me, Philip. Because I didn't know his name. I, I thought I knew his name, but I called him Philip of Macedon because that... <laughs> Go look it up. Um, so I was like, well, how do you people feel in your country when you are when you get to age 33 and you haven't conquered the world? Well, I was going to say that, but I was at the table with other people, and it's never good to provoke the people bringing you your food. So I did not I did not haul out my, my history degree, as I am apt to do, uh, and I kept it to myself. And I was rewarded by the best dessert I have ever had that I can remember, Tartufo. Tartufo. And we're going to get a picture of this up on the website. But it's it was so good that halfway through it, I said, oh, I forgot to take a picture of this for Foodborne. I've uh, done that. <laughs> I, had to, I had to ask the people at the table, what am I eating? <laughs> because I ordered it based on the name, which I, sounded funny to me. Yes. It sounded like what Geppetto ate in his shop after he built Pinocchio. And I was yes. like, well, Tartufo, of course. It, it had some kind of raspberry thing on the top. It was It was two different kinds of... Rich mousse on the inside with a chocolate shell on the outside. It was just really good. And the thing that I forgot, and this is where I have betrayed the foodborne universe, I forgot the essential rule of cruise shipping, if that's a term. If you forgot the dessert that you just consumed at lightning speed, get another one. They're free. Call Philip of Macedon back and tell him, you're a big disappointment to your entire empire, but could you bring me another Tartufo because I haven't had a picture of it and I don't really know what's in it because I zoomed through the first one. Um, and I don't know why I didn't, but the next time I go on a cruise, I don't care what time of day it is, I'm going to go get me some Tartufo because it was that good. And there will be pictures uh, of that on the website. Um, and i got to say that I expected uh, two things. Well, maybe three things. Coming off of the carbs and going to a place where food was, was kind of their number one deal. Yeah. Although when we were leaving the boat, there were some people who were settling up their bill who said, there's no way I spent $1,200 on alcohol. <laughs> that can happen too, but we didn't really do that. Um, I thought I would get motion sick, and I thought I would gain 15 or 20 pounds from going <laughs> off the carbs and being confronted with, I can go get Johnny Rocket's food at 1 in the morning for 5 bucks. Um, didn't really happen because this ship had 14 decks, and you pretty much had to walk everywhere. So that worked out, and plus, I don't know how much weight you lose when you're climbing a waterfall in Jamaica the wrong way, but it's considerable. So, uh, I recommend cruising. I recommend that you find some way to get them to stamp your passport for the many countries that you're going to visit. And I recommend the Tartufo. And uh, don't tease the waiters. Even if they're from Macedonia. It can happen. Tartufo. And so, 
We have reached the end of Sajcast number 12. Number 12. Our 12th ever Sajcast, sponsored by First Cars. We're the makers of... I'm free! Woohoo! Try it now! And can you believe her parents got her that? 